It's the European Championship Group Previews on Caught Offside. Side. From the suburbs of New York City, an apartment in Brooklyn, New York, it's the European Championship Group Previews, Groups A, B, and C. What's up, brother? Oh, Andrew, I'm so excited about this. I was just online and someone had tweeted the finish to one of the greatest European Championship games, one of the greatest games I've ever seen, Euro 2000, Spain 4, Yugoslavia 3. I am pumped about this tournament. I've said this before. I'll say it again. It might be my favorite tournament in football. Mm, that's a bold statement. Um, yeah, we were all ready to do this a year ago around this time. And then things happened. And now, yada, yada, yada. Here we are a year later. The 2020 Euros in the year 2021. They're really sticking with that 2020. They feel strongly about it. Too much branding, I guess. Too much is out branding, there Andrew. We're not going back to the drawing board on this. That is the tournament we're having. It's yeah. it's it's a good 2020 vibe for once. We've got a lot to get to. Like I said, we're gonna be going through groups A, B, and C on this podcast, and then you'll get D, E, and F um, a couple days from now, depending on when you're listening to this, sometime probably on Wednesday. Um, so this will be A, B, and C. We'll go through them. We got a lot to get to here. It's going to be fun. I'm really looking forward to this. It's, you know, it's, I don't know. Nice to have these, inter- these like big international tournaments back after last summer, we were so excited for so many things and it all got put on hold justifiably. So, and like, I'm so ready for it. Uh, I'm just like you, I, I feel very excited about this uh, and it should be fun before we get into the teams itself. Let's go through some of just like the, what you need to know about this tournament, because it's a little bit different than what you're accustomed it's to. It's quite different, let's be honest. You're right, you're right. I'm underselling it by saying that it's a little bit different because this tournament is going to be played in 11 cities across Europe, uh, which is obviously far different than how this and most tournaments have been done uh, previously. Um, do you like that? I have never asked you really. We never, we've talked no, about that decision. but No, I, I hate it from, from so many standpoints. Um, I, I love like the coming together of a country where you get to learn about France. Uh, you get to learn about Belgium and Holland in one tournament, uh, England at another, Germany. You remember them by, oh, remember England, Euro 96. Remember when we had the European Championships in France. Um, I, I don't, I'm not, a, I'm, I'm not a fan of this at all. I, I wholeheartedly agree with you. Yeah. Um, there's something about the unity of, uh, uh, for the World Cup, you know, a whole world or for the European Championships, an entire continent converging on one place, everyone coming together for this one thing. There's something about that that is cool to me. And this is not even in, uh, it's not fan friendly anyway because of COVID-19, but it was never going to be fan friendly from a cost point of view. And also from just a, an environmental standpoint, the, the air miles are going to be quite something. Uh, and I'm not saying that that all tournaments are are environmentally friendly anyway. They're essentially not. But uh, this one is is definitely not. So um, so yeah, it's it's spread out. But but I do think that considering there won't be fans at it, or there will be fans, but there won't be the kind of on mass travel that we're used to for previous tournaments. Say for example, Northern Ireland, Wales, and the Republic of Ireland descending on France, one country. You won't see that now. So maybe we don't notice that so much at home watching on the TV. Uh, as was the case five years ago, tournament is going to be made up of the expanded 24-team field. Uh, six groups, top two from each group are going to advance automatically, as will the four best third-place teams. Uh, important to remember that. 
And Wembley Stadium in London is going to host the semifinals on July 6th and 7th and the final as well on July 11th. Um, the final, JJ, is going to be held just over uh, 25 years from the UEFA Euro 96 final at Old Wembley Stadium. That's right. And what a tournament that was. Uh, for I was uh, 12 years of age at the time and, and uh, sorry, 14 years of age at that time. And it was etched into my memory that I was England, in England for that tournament. And it was special. And anyone who remembers Euro 96 has the same nostalgia. Yeah. And we'll get into certain things like, you know, the, the betting favorites and things like that. But just to throw in here with some of the other basic information, last I saw, I believe June 1st was the, the last update that I saw from uh, William Hill. Uh, but France currently, the reigning World Cup champions, they are currently your betting favorites. We will get to them in the part two of our Euro group previews. They are not in this part. And we begin this part, JJ in alphabetical order, and A is the first letter of the alphabet, and so we begin with group A. Um, Italy, Switzerland, Turkey, and Wales. Just some of the stuff that you need to know here. Um, going by the, so you know how ESPN does its uh, its soccer power index? You know, we, yes. we talk about that from time to time. We don't swear by it, but it's a gauge. Going by that, this group is actually rated as the second toughest group in the tournament. And I think, I, you can, I, I think you can see that. I, I don't, don't think, think that's surprising. That is not outrageous. Right. Um, starting with Italy, Roberto Mancini, JJ at the helm. Uh, he is the manager of this team. They won their group in qualifying, and they did so in pretty uh, extraordinary fashion, winning all 10 matches that they played. Uh, Andrea Bellotti of Torino was their leading scorer, five goals during qualification. Last time in the 2016 Euros, remember they lost to Germany in the round of 16. Uh, they won this tournament once, all with, all the way back in 1968. So it's been it's been a minute since Italy's had some success in this tournament. That's for sure. Uh, I suppose we should put Group J that they qualified out of into context. There was uh, Finland in the group. There was also Bosnia, Armenia, and Liechtenstein. So that has been kind of kept in the front of Italian fans' minds when they get a little bit carried away with what's gone on and, and uh, their record-breaking run, but um, still very impressive. Yeah, yeah, it really was. And they'll be feeling, you know, like this is hopefully the start of a new era for them after not qualifying for the last World Cup. Switzerland, JJ, won their group in qualifying, uh, managed by Vladimir Petkovic, uh, who's been in charge since July of 2014. It's gotten them out of the group in uh, the, the 2016 Euros and the 2018 World Cup. So it's been a good run for Switzerland in major tournament play. Uh, we got a good look at them, of course, last week against the U.S. and a bit of an uneven performance for the Swiss, but they did win it. All in all, I'd say they look like a good team. Very difficult team, Andrew. I had a very good look at them because they were in Ireland's group. In fact, I'm, I'm sick of themselves and Denmark, but there we are. I'll get to the Danes later. Um, the, Swiss are, the Swiss are a very good side. Um, they... They are one of these teams that you, you, you fancy them to, to progress through this group, but this is a very tough group. Yeah, it is. Um, it certainly is. We'll go a little bit deeper on them in a minute. Uh, Turkey, JJ, the third team in here, uh, they were in a tough qualifying group. They had to deal with France, but to their credit, they took four points off the French and almost won the group, which would have been extraordinary for them. Um, so props to them. We, I just spoke about how difficult France is going to be in this tournament. Managed by uh, Sinal Gunes, he managed Turkey to their third place finish back at the 2002 World Cup. Um, and uh, so he'll be looking to rekindle that magic. And this makes two consecutive appearances at the Euros for Turkey and three out of the last four. They reached the semis in 2008. 
So there's some uh, some positive international history for them within the last 20 years. Oh, definitely. And we treat them as a, an unknown quantity, but they really shouldn't be. They impressed already in World Cup qualifying back in March, knocking off uh, Erling Braut Haaland's highly fancied Norway 3-0. Um, they are a force. And then last but not least, JJ, the Welsh, Wales. They're back making their second straight appearance and second all-time appearance. And what a debut it was for them in 2016, going all the way to the semifinals where they uh, eventually lost to Portugal 2-0. Portugal got goals from Ronaldo and Nani on the day. But it was an incredible storybook run for a Welsh team that I, I think entering that tournament, there were some high hopes for. Oh, okay, Bale, Ramsey, you know, they, uh, the names, some of those names stood out. Um, and to see them actually put it together, it was uh, it was an, a, a really fun ride for them. They're going to be looking to replicate that once more, and they're going to be doing so under the management of Rob Page, of course. There's a lot going on there um, in that seat as Page took over for Ryan Giggs last November in the wake of Giggs's domestic violence incident. Yeah, this is a team that's got some of the remaining experience from that Euro 2016 team and a light. I was going to say light sprinkling, quite a heavy sprinkling of youth too. So they will be very interesting. And again, another tricky opponent. This is definitely a group of death. Yeah, you. Uh, I wonder if you find this sometimes with international teams. The Welsh, for me, are that country where I'll be like, oh, that guy's Welsh? Huh. Oh, him? That guy too? Huh. Like when I look through there, I, I remember feeling that way back in the day when, when I found out that Aaron Ramsey was Welsh. It's like, he's not English? Uh, wow. That's very much an American uh, lack of geography uh, reaction, Andrew. I got to be oh, honest with you. David Brooks, he's Welsh, huh? Hmm. We, I, I do feel when we're at home, we're more aware of of Welshness, Scottishness, Irishness, Northern Irishness, and Englishness than than the average American who lump us all together as Brits. Right. Uh, like not. for you, you'll be like, you know, for you, it's more like, oh, Alfonso Davies, he's Canadian, huh? Thought he was American. Interesting. Sometimes that can happen, but it's usually with celebrities like Jim Carrey, oh. yeah. people oh, like yeah. that. He's Canadian. Hmm. Yeah. How about that? Hmm. All right. So here we go. Those are your teams. You've been introduced. And now we've got five big questions. We'll go through these um, and then we'll close out each group segment with a little kind of Euro edition of the wheel of football. I've dusted it off. It's beautiful. It's ready. The wheel is ready. First question, JJ, it feels like the Italians are the class of this group. Are they as much of a clear favorite as it's being made out? Um. I don't, I, I think they're in a great moment, but you can't make them overwhelming favorites in this tricky group. Um, but it's a pretty exciting Italian team under Mancini, Andrew. They broke the Italian record for consecutive wins held by Vittorio Pozzo, uh, which was 10 and six consecutive away wins, which was a record too. 21 wins out of 30 under the X-Man City boss. Um, this is probably the most positive I felt about Italy going into, tourn into a tournament in a long time. Uh, even their last warm-up game was a big uh, 4-0 battering of uh, maybe not full-strength Czech Republic. Uh, Berardi, Immobile, Insigne, all on the score sheet in that one. The spine of this team, Andrew, from goalkeeper right the way through is pretty strong. Donnarumma, Bonucci, Chiellini, Jorginho. Um, and we expect maybe it's going to be Immobile or Bellotti. I'm not sure who's going to start at centre forward, but probably Chiesa and Insigne either side of them. Um, Questions are about the centre-backs. Is there a pace issue there with those older centre-backs? Um, Chiellini's 36 mm. and Benucci is 34. Now, they're both great. I mean, these are, yes. you know, we're talking about all-time greats at that <laughs> yes. position. Um, but 
Yeah, I, I remember talking about them a few years ago and being like, you know, Chiellini and Benucci, both in their 30s. And like, here we are, you know, I guess now five years later, and still it's Italy uh, seemingly relying on those two at the back. Not saying it's disastrous. It's just, it's enough of a question mark for me, I guess, that it's worth, it's worth noting. It could go yes. either way. Yes. Now, in qualifying, there were other centre-backs that came in there, but we expect it'll be Benucci and Chiellini when it comes to the, to the big dance. I would say one thing. They do play an attacking brand of football that is not the, the classic Italian style. And you wonder if that involves a higher line, what does that mean for pace in behind? Are those two guys going to struggle for pace in behind? That is a question I would ask. I look at Verratti and Barella in the middle of the park, Jorginho too. They're going to have to do their defensive duties uh, in covering the fullbacks who are going to get forward as well. Florenzi and Emerson, we expect to be in there. So um, I wonder just a little bit about age and just a little bit about pace. But I'm, I've never been more excited about Italy, Andrew. This is an Italian team that is exciting. So a couple notes uh, off of some of the stuff that you just said there. First off, you mentioned Verratti. He was dealing with an injury. Uh, it's uncertain just what his status will be in the group stages. Uh, Locatelli could come in there too. So we'll have to we'll have to see how that is. In terms of the, the initial question here of whether or not they're as much of a clear favorite as it seems. So let me give you some of this here. As of June 1st, William Hill Sportsbook had them seventh favorites for the tournament to win the whole thing at plus 1,100. Um, if you're curious, the order of teams before them – it goes France, England, Belgium, Spain, Germany, Portugal, then Italy at seven, and then the Netherlands just after them. And then there's a fairly sizable drop-off after the Netherlands to Denmark uh, at your, I guess that would be the ninth favorite. Um, so, and in terms of the group itself, ESPN soccer power index gives them a 96% chance of advancing to the knockout round. So it's essentially, I mean, it, when you're talking about like the cream of the crop in each of these groups with the, the kind of like the third place cushion with those top four third place teams, it almost feels like an impossibility for a team like Italy to at least not make it out of the group. Now, crazier things can have happened, but it just, I don't know, it just feels that way for, for the marquee teams in each group. And then one other note, um, if we're like, I do, I certainly do view them as the favorite to get out of this group. But if we're going to talk about some of the question marks and things, um, you mentioned Immobile up front. He's an interesting one because it feels like Italy has been kind of waiting for him in particular to really emerge as their guy because you see what he does domestically. He's averaged 25 goals per year. Yeah in Syria over the last five years, but for his country, 12 goals and 45 appearances, they have not yet seen the same level of production from him. So, um, you know, we all know, we all view him as, as a very good player, certainly, but it's not a given as we talk about club over country guys, it's not always a given that what you do for your club team will translate to the national team. So something to keep an eye on for them. But yes, if the question is, are they as much of a clear favorite to get out of the group as, as it seems, I would say yes. Okay. I, th I think this group has the potential for some, for some upsets and it will go to the last day. Uh, I'm, I'm sure of it, but you're right. There is that third place cushion that, that remains. Yeah. Second question here, JJ, which group stage matchup are you most excited for? Well, uh, Italy play all their games, or all their group games in Rome in the Stadio Olimpico. So the final group game versus Wales on June 20th is the one for me. I think there's going to be plenty riding on that one. I had the same one as a matter of fact. Yeah. Final group stage match. I, I could see it. I mean, look, I just said what I said about Italy, that I think it's a given they're going to get out. So it's probably going to mean more for Wales, I would think, 
um, than Italy, especially like you said, also with Italy having these three games at home. Um, potentially, potentially. Uh, all right. Well, that was easy enough. Third question. Be curious for your answer on this one. Who's the player from this group that you're most excited about? Okay. If people listen to our podcast regularly, they won't be surprised that I'll say Lorenzo Insigne. Hmm. Nobody is going to be surprised by that. But I think if you look at the player he has been for Napoli, 109 goals and 85 assists across his time there, his versatility as a forward player, he can play wide, he can play centrally. Look at his recognition outside of Serie A. I never hear him linked with transfers anywhere else, but I think he's that good. You maybe look at his age, he's 30. This is his time in an Italian-style team that should suit him. Uh, this quote from Football Italia was interesting, Andrew. This is what he said uh, after a recent warm-up game. He said, I feel old. I am happy with the fate the coach and my teammates put in me. I always try to be at the disposal of the team and play for them. The coach created a wonderful team spirit here. He put us all in a condition to give our best and enjoy our football. The results are clear. We're playing beautiful football. Hmm. That, that's a man that's, that's in his feelings. I don't always think that Italian managers have necessarily indulged players like Insigne. The, the style hasn't been there. It's been much more defensive. This is much more attacking. This is much more of the style he's used at Napoli, and we should see him blossom. I, I hope we do, because he deserves it. He's 30 now. Uh, yeah. It's, I mean, this is his time, right? You don't know how I – mean, I would think at the next World Cup he would still be in the picture, but once sure. you hit 30, you know, things, things begin to change. New faces start to emerge. So, yeah. What about you? Uh, JJ, I went to Switzerland for mine. I went with Jordan Shakiri. Oh. Shakiri, as some will say. Um, yeah, he's the one that I'm most excited about just because like, so we see it with him in cameo appearances with Liverpool or back when he was at Bayern, obviously at Stoke, it was more than cameo appearances. He kind of was that team, but like, I feel like we can always see when he plays that there is a player in there, a really, really good player. Um, and now when he gets to Switzerland, it's kind of his time to let the world see that like, this is his team. He's going to be given freedom to be the man. He'll be their number 10. And, you know, just looking at some Liverpool websites, you're starting to see rumblings about him wanting out. And so, as is always the case at these international tournaments with players like him, you know, this is sort of a crossroads event. Like, this is your showcase. What better audition for other clubs than this one? Uh, and he's always played well for the Swiss. In 2019, so recently, he was named actually to the uh, UEFA Nations League team of the tournament. So, I just – guys like him who – are clearly talented and don't always have the opportunity to show it on their elite level club teams. When they go back to like, if I'm going to use like college basketball terminology, almost like a high mid major in a team like this, like this is the, this is his chance to just kind of show the world what we all think of him that, you know, we know he's a good player who can't always show it and he's shown it before for Switzerland. So I'll be curious to see if we, uh, if we get that from him again. Um, all right. Fourth question here, JJ, when I say dark horse team from this group, you say who? I said Turkey. Oh. Uh, even though they've qualified for five out of the last seven Euros, they feel like a relative unknown, as I said before, but they are dangerous. So you got at centre-back, Soyuncu Leicester, Demiray at Juventus, Burak Yilmaz up front with 16 goals to fire Lille to the league on crown, who seems to be, I mean, we're talking about Indian summers to careers or, or fine wines or cheeses aging well. I mean, is there any better example of that in soccer than Burak Yilmaz this season? Uh, but the key man for me, Andrew, Ozan Tufan. 
I watched him rip Norway apart in a March World Cup qualifier that the Turks won 3-0. He grabbed two goals himself, was a constant pain for Norway, who dominated possession. They could be deadly on the break. They're going to give someone a real pain in this tournament. They are that technically good, and they're set up to hurt sides. Uh, Turkey would be my dark horse. Uh, I said Wales for this one. Uh, you know, I almost feel bad calling them that because it, they are 17th in FIFA's world rankings for however seriously you decide to take that. However, in this tournament, they've got the same odds to win as clubs like or teams like Austria and the Czech Republic. Um, and I just, for me at least, I put Austria is maybe a little closer, but I, I put Wales a tick ahead of teams like that. And I mean, this won't surprise people to hear me say, but for me, this is kind of the tournament of Bale. Like all we've heard from some time now, whether it's serious or in jest, but we keep hearing this idea that he cares so much more about playing for his national team than he does for his club teams. Wales, oh, golf. Right, exactly. And so it's all kind of been building to this. Um, so I'm just curious to see, like part of the reason that we heard he wanted to go to Spurs this past year was to make sure he could get minutes in leading up to this tournament and make sure he would be fit for this tournament. So, all right, here you go. Like it, it's your moment. Uh, I would say at Tottenham this year, it was, it's hard to tell, you know, we saw him have some brilliant performances, but oftentimes it came against lesser competition. So I'll be, I will be fascinated. And I know Wales, they do have uh, a, you know, a fairly deeper squad than maybe we realize. I mentioned Aaron Ramsey before they also have, you know, Ben Davies, Joe Roden um, and, you know, uh, Ethan Ampadu. There's a lot of good players there, um, but it's going to be as Bale goes, they go. And uh, I, I don't know, just seeing how much he's wanted this over the past few years, I give them a good chance to make some noise once again in this tournament. Okay. And uh, last but not least, JJ, is there a team in this group that you give no shot? I, will, I, think, I think I'll we, go quickly here and I'll just say, no, no. I, I give all of these teams a shot. This is a tough group. I, I absolutely do. Even looking at the spine quickly this way, Sommer and goal, Shar, Xhaka, Shakiri, Seferovic, and Bolo. Come on. Like there's no team that's out of it. I just have one point to make before we get out of this, mm -hmm. uh, before we get off this group is a bit. So uh, someone on Twitter, Rahul Lyer, at Rahul Lyer 32, R-A-H-U-L-L-Y-E-R 32. It's important. I give him his props, Andrew. He did a graph. Euro 2020 squad average age versus playing time in 2020-21. So basically the average age of the squad versus the average amount of time they've played in this long, long, almost double season of COVID football. Wales, Andrew, have one of the youngest squads at about an average of 25 years of age and one of the lowest numbers of average minutes played by squad members in 2020-21. I think that could be crucial. That's I think, interesting. I it's think hard, could, it's hard to know exactly how to read into that. Like uh, that, that could be read as okay, they're they're fresh coming into this. It also could be read as well, maybe they have low minutes played because their players aren't as good. I I I think in this tournament, I think freshness, lack of injuries, uh, recovery time, all those things are crucial. These are the things that matter. I think will matter the most in a COVID in a COVID uh, European Championship tournament. And for me, that matters, and that give that could potentially give Wales an edge. You've got this sprinkling the young players. Now the other side to it is. 
there's a player like, for example, Ruben Caldwell of Cardiff City, who's 19. He's bringing the average age down quite a bit. We know some of the key players, Joe Allen, Aaron Ramsey, you know, they're they're obviously that little bit But older. But you are right, though. They have but, players who are, you know, Daniel James, like David they, Brooks, uh, Nico Williams. Like they do have young talent who are going to be important for them that are young. So yep. it's, it is a good point that you make. Yep. But uh, I just wanted to get that in there because I was looking for that everywhere. Uh, so fair play to Rahulier32 or A-H-U-L-L-Y-E-R-32 for doing that. Really good work. Nice. Um, all right. Here we go. I've got our wheel. We're going to do Wheel of Football Euro Edition. Are you excited? I, I'm, I'm really of, excited. There's a Scared. lot of good. Yeah, you should be. There's a lot of interesting categories on here. Um, so, all right, here we go. I got it. We'll give it a spin. Oh, yes. JJ, you see what it is. Oh, for That's right. Group trivia. Oh, come on. Yep. I got three questions here for you. The wheel has spoken, JJ. Group A trivia. Sickening. Here we go. Question one. At Euro 2016, this Welshman finished tied with Eden Hazard for most assists in the tournament. It's not Gareth Bale. Now, what what do I do with these? It's not like well, just give me to... help me out. Is it Gareth? Uh, Bale? It's not Gareth Bale. Uh, Aaron Ramsey. That's right. With four, him and gotcha. Eden Hazard tied for the lead in assists at the last Euros. Good job. That was kind of half right since you <laughs> sort of answered before answering. All right, question two, JJ. Italy has won the European Championship one time when they hosted the event in 1968. Who did they beat in that final? Oh. Oh, that's a good question. West Germany. No, Yugoslavia. And ah. there's a there's an interesting story to this. So the first match, this the format was utterly bonkers. Bonkers. At, the, at this point. So they played in the final. There are only four teams in it, uh, four nations in it. They um they played Yugoslavia in the final. The first match, yes, the first match ended 1-1. So they replayed it two days later, and then Italy won 2-0. Here's the most interesting part of this, though, JJ. You know how Italy advanced to the final? No. Incomprehensibly, (laughs) there was no replay of a semifinal, no extra time, and no penalties. Coin toss. They they advanced over the Soviet Union by way of coin toss when the match ended 0-0. I simply have... No words for how dumb that is. It's <laughs> football, unbelievable. Football was weirder then. It was much but like weirder. 1968 is not that long ago. If you told me they did this in 1928, I would say that's ridiculous. How dumb is that? Like that? And that's the 20s. 1968. Come on, people. What were we thinking? That is very weird. Uh, all right. Question three. Ugh, Here we go. Come on. Uh, I think you'll know this, actually. Turkey has four players on their roster who played in the Premier League last season. Can you name two of them? Uh, Soyuncu. That's one. Who am I not thinking of? You're going to kick yourself. Oh, Cengiz Under. Very good. That is not the one I thought you would get, but yeah, you got both Leicester City players. Okay. And the others Uh, are? So there's OK Yakuslu of West Brom. I was not expecting you to get that one. I know it was in Quebec. Yes, for Liverpool. All right. Um, yep. And for extra credit, you could have also given me Halil Ibrahim uh, Dervasoglu of Brentford. 
because now they're in the Premier League. Um, but that would have been. Really Are you you would have shot play. that one down for sure. <laughs> I know you, you stickler. All right. Well, hey, that was Group A. Uh, enjoy that. That's a tough group. That's going to be a really intriguing one um, as this tournament progresses. Uh, all right, JJ, we move now into Group B. Uh, we'll go through uh, the four teams, give you some of the basic info to start out with. And let's start with Belgium, the class of this group. Uh, JJ, I would say qualification went fairly well for them as they scored 40 goals while conceding just three. Uh, the, the, the term cakewalk springs to mind. <laughs> Unbelievable. Lukaku led the way for them in qualification with seven goals. Um, it's interesting. The last Euros were kind of a disappointment for them. I mean, things lined up pretty nicely. And then they went out to Wales in the quarterfinals. Um, now, that's not a slight on Wales. We just you know, finished up talking about how we think pretty highly of them. But this was kind of like the thick of the Belgian golden generation. But who was managing them? He was, he was basically a, a, how would you say, a whipping boy for this podcast, Mark was Vilmot. This I remember you used, to, you used to hold your hands up and look at the sky. Vilmot, why? <laughs> that's right. You idiot, Vilmot. <laughs> Um, so that was their last Euro campaign, but they do bring some forward momentum with them after a third place finish at the 2018 World Cup. Managed now, no longer with Bill Motts, of course. It is Roberto Martinez, who has uh, overseen their rise to number one in the world, according to the FIFA World Rankings. Unbelievable, really. Yeah. And, uh, and a lot of pressure on them, but we'll get to that. Hmm. Interesting. All right. Hmm. Uh, we move from Belgium to Denmark, the 1992 champions of this Ugh, competition. God, I hate them. Why, why is that? Oh, Ireland have drawn them. Nations League, Denmark. World Cup qualifying, Denmark. European Championships, Denmark. Denmark, Denmark, Denmark. How's it gone for the Irish? Uh, not well. Oh, okay. <laughs> Wasn't sure. Um, Denmark, they, they missed out on the 2016 competition, but they're back now making their ninth appearance in the UEFA European Championships. They come in having won the first three of their World Cup qualifiers, so and that was went back in March. So I imagine there's a good feeling running through their camp. Uh, managed by Casper Humeland, uh, who was actually the man who replaced, do you know who he replaced at Mainz back in 2014? Uh, no. Thomas Tuchel. Oh. Yeah. Didn't go well for Humeland. But it's gone well for him since, and now he's in charge of the Danes. We will talk about them in uh, greater detail in moments. We move from then to Finland, uh, one of two nations making their first ever appearance at a major tournament. How about that? Props to them. It's incredible because they've had some good players down the years, but they've never really had a team, and now they have a team. I mean, it always seems strange to me when they had Yari Lippmann and that they never won anything or never got anywhere, but now they have a, a real a real club vibe around them. Yeah, led by, of course, Timu Puki, um, who we became so familiar with, with North City, led the way for them in qualifying with 10 goals. He was absolutely massive for this team in getting to this point. Um, managed by Marku Kanerva, he was actually capped 59 times by the Finnish national team and was previously, before this, he was uh, an elementary school teacher. Very interesting. interesting. Yeah. And then last but not least, JJ, in this group, Russia. Uh, they were group runners up in qualifying. Um, I'm sure they were um, thrilled when the draw was announced after having just dealt with Belgium in qualification. And now they see him again in the group stage of this tournament. That, that has happened uh, a couple of times in groups uh, for these European championships. I feel like it should have been avoided, but there we are. Yeah. Uh, this is their uh, fifth straight appearance 
for Russia. They have not missed this tournament since 2000, managed by Stanislav Cherasov, uh, who did a really good job with them back at the 2018 World Cup in Russia, where they lost to Croatia on penalties in the quarterfinals. In a tournament where they were not expected, I, I know it was in Russia, and oftentimes it gives that massive boost to the home country, but they were not expected to get out of the group. Um, so um, they had a they had quite the tournament, a lot of running, Andrew, for a lot of older players, and they were able to do it. Yeah. So Churchesov will look to get a similar uh, success rate out of them once again. All right. Five questions. You ready? Yes, let's go. All right. The obvious one. We start with Belgium. Is this the tournament that they've been waiting for? Uh, I'm going to be an anti-negative on that, Andrew. I think 2018 was the tournament they'd been waiting for. I think the 1-0 defeat to France was a grave disappointment, particularly the way they played on the, on the day in the semifinal of the World Cup. I think for this generation, at least some, uh, and I'm talking about Mertens, Alderweireld, Vertonghen, possibly De Bruyne and Hazard, this is drinking in the last chance saloon. Yeah. The oldest squad in the tournament also the most experienced with an average of 50 caps each upper 2300s in average minutes played across their clubs hazard injury hasn't actually played for Belgium since November, 2019 um, old center backs, Kevin De Bruyne question mark. This is um, yeah, this is, this is going to be, they go in with such high hopes, but there are things that are slightly going against them, I feel. So I believe that maybe you and I have sort of a different feel of what Last Chance Saloon is. Okay. Um, like for you, it sounds like you view it as they're over the hill past their prime. I view it more as this is it. Like this is their last shot potentially right. at, at fulfilling you know, the hope and promise that we basically were told this group had in them. And, you know, we saw it at the last World Cup to a certain extent. I don't want to make it sound like that was a failure. for No, them. the performance against Brazil in particular was brilliant. Yeah. Um, but in terms of like if they want to win something or at least get to a final, I think we're looking at it now. It's just amazing, JJ. Like you and I, like time just goes by so fast. Like you and I started this podcast seven years ago. And remember, like it doesn't feel that long ago. We were talking about Belgium, like this is it, the golden generation. And like, here we are, all those guys that when we started this podcast out previewing the 2014 World Cup, that we were talking about how young they are. And this is the beginning of something special. Now we're at the end of it. It's, that's just weird to me. It, it is weird, but we all, we often say like, you know, form and injuries are things in football that just... They hit you often at the wrong time. And look, like Alderweireld, you know, hasn't been exactly a, a magical time for him at Tottenham. Um, Kevin De Bruyne. Well, it has until I'd say the last year. Well, yeah. He was sort of ushered in and out of the lineup. I always, I'll be honest. I'm somebody, I'm an Alderweireld loyalist. I believe if he's healthy, he plays. Right. Um, not clearly every manager agrees. Um, but like when you look at this team, I mean, you talk about the ages and whether or not they're, they've passed it. They're, they're right. They're right on the edge. Like this is it. Lukaku, 28, De Bruyne, 29, Alderweireld, 32, Vertonghen, 34, Dries Mertens, 34, Hazard, Eden Hazard, 30. Uh, you know, even some other, like Thomas Moon, uh, Mounier, 29, Axel yeah. Witzel, 32. Like they're, they're, they're right at the edge. Um, you know, there, there is like, you know, your Yuri Tielemans who's 24, but pretty much, Everyone on this roster of significance is 25 or older. Most of those trending more towards 30 or over 30. So it'll be interesting. Maybe you're right. Maybe it, maybe it is now that they must 
they just simply must uh, deliver because yeah. I I don't see maybe I mean maybe the fact that the tournament the international calendar is so compressed now I, I don't know maybe, maybe this is just their big chance uh, France and England the only two teams who are favored above them right now on the the William Hill betting market interesting we can debate whether or not we agree with that we well, probably will get more into that when we talk about England yeah I, I, true enough but I mean when we don't know what's the status of Kevin De Bruyne right now that's right. that. That throws a, the whole right. thing into flux. I almost don't know how. I'm not saying they can't be good without him, but if you're actually going to think about laying money down, I don't know yes. how you can do it without knowing exactly what his status is. He's that he's that important. Uh, all right, you ready for the next question? Yep. Uh, which group stage matchup are you most excited for? Um, I looked at them. There's there's none that stood out to me really. I think Belgium Denmark could be a really good game at the Parken Stadium in Copenhagen. Um, what's interesting to me in this is that, uh, and it's another little wrinkle in the Belgium story, they're on the road for every single group game. That, that is, that could be problematic for them. But um, yeah, Belgium, Denmark seems to be the one that stood out to me. That was the one I said too. And, and partially for the reason you just said that it's going to be like Belgium are the, are the favorite, but they're going to have to go to Copenhagen to do it. Uh, last I saw, so I think it's important to do this. You talked about the fan element. Yes. of this tournament um so because it's 11 different cities 11 different countries uh there's going to be different rules in each place so in copenhagen where this game will be played uh, i saw this on uefa's own website um they're going to be uh, allowing somewhere between it's not decided yet but somewhere between 25 percent to 45 percent attendance i guess they're waiting to see exactly how much they they can do um in case you were wondering some of the other fan breakdowns by venue so St. Petersburg and Baku have both confirmed capacities of 50% fan attendance. Uh, Budapest, they're aiming for 100%, but they're going to have strict stadium entry requirements for spectators. They're the only one doing that. No one else is even close. Uh, Amsterdam, Bucharest, Copenhagen, Glasgow, Rome, and Seville are going to be in that 25% to 45% range. Um, London has said a minimum capacity of 25% for the first three group matches and the round of 16. I guess they're going to reevaluate there for, because like we said, they have the semis and the final. I'm going to, I'm sure they're going to want to get as many in for that as they can, uh, but they have not announced that yet. And then Munich is aiming um, for a minimum of 14,500. So that's about 22% of stadium capacity. So, you know, it's funny because we've gotten used to now in the United States, like NBA playoffs going on and, and baseball going on. And we're, we've now, we're now seeing hundred percent across the board for the most part in this country, soccer in Europe is unfortunately they're not there yet. It would have been cool to see for this tournament, but you can't force it. Not in the time of a pandemic. No, you can't. But it'll be nice. Still. That's enough people. Certainly that will have an atmosphere for sure. And uh, St. Petersburg for Russia is going to be interesting. Yeah. Uh, all right, third question here. It's probably my favorite question that we ask in each group. The player from this group that you're most excited about? Um, considering my group A choice, people might say he's going to go for Dries Mertens, but I'm going to be different and say Romelu Lukaku. Uh, 24 goals and 10 assists for Inter and Syria, a striker who is now back in the forefront of minds and probably at the top of some shopping lists, considering what we're hearing is going on at Inter. Uh, it's his time for a big tournament to underline a great club season. Also to kind of underline the uh, regeneration he's seen in Syria. So um, I'm excited to see Romelu Lukaku. One other thing, uh, I always do this. Jeremy Doku, 19 years of age, Stad Ren wing, uh, winger, 
Um, it could be a tasty option off the bench for Martinez. Uh, I went with a Belgian as well. Oh. To me, this was actually very easy. Eden Hazard. Just because, especially if we don't know exactly what De Bruyne's status is, like we talk about this guy, he can be one of the best players in the world. And if he is, like he he's the kind of like the key to this where I almost can't believe how good Belgium could be. Um, if De Bruyne is healthy and Lukaku's on form and Hazard is like Chelsea Hazard, I mean, my God, you know, how good could they be in attack? But we also know what he is when he's disinterested or when he sees some sort of drop in form, as we've seen in patches with Chelsea and most recently in Real Madrid. Um, so, you know, Roberto Martinez spoke about him this week and um, he attributed a lot of the struggles that Hazard has gone through to injuries. But he says now he's fully healthy, said he's been in a good mind frame in training, should be a full go for this tournament because he had been dealing with a little bit of a knock, but they say he's he's ready. So. I'm just so curious which Hazard we're going to get. Will we get a throwback to the, you know, the end of his time at Chelsea or will we get, you know, I don't know how other way to say it other than the, the disappointing version that we've seen so far at Real Madrid, because well, who we get there could go a long way in determining what Belgium do here. Well, he's going to be well arrested anyway. That's for sure. <laughs> uh, all right. Fourth question. When I say dark horse team, you say, I think Finland. Wow. Um, I should say Russia, because considering their performance at the World Cup in 2018 and the fact they played two of their three group games in St. Petersburg, that's, uh, that's an interesting one for me. But I'm going to resist that urge. Uh, I saw the Finns play and beat Ireland in the Nations League. And while I thought we should have beaten them away, Ireland manager Stephen Kenny had an interesting comment on them, as reported by The Guardian. They are almost like a club team in that they are very certain in their roles. I don't think you can pay an international site a bigger compliment than to say they're like a club team um that togetherness has been uh, a building block for finland and will be key uh, in this championship uh for me it was denmark just because like you mentioned spine before schmeichel and then you move to central defense with simon Schar, uh andreas christensen then you move up a little bit more to hoybier tom uh, thomas delaney then a little bit in front of them, Christian Eriksen up front, take your pick, Brathwaite, Yusuf Poulsen, Casper Dahlberg. I mean, they have that all the way from back to front. Yeah. Um, I think this is, this is a good Denmark team. I, I really think highly of them. I think that, you know, they, they're one of my dark horse. Like if we're talking true dark horse, like what Wales were at the last Euro, a, a surprise run to a semifinal. I could see that happening with this team. Uh, when I when I say dark horse for Finland, I'm probably meaning getting out of the group. Right. Yeah. I to be that. perfectly honest with you. Yeah. Um, that would be a really nice run for them. And it's yeah. not beyond the realms of possibility whatsoever. Um, and then last but not least, is there a team in this group that you give no shot? Uh, no. There, so I, there, there isn't for me like, you know, like if you if you were to look in depth at the Russians, they're one of the oldest squads. Uh, but they have some of the least average minutes played at club level. And they've got great experience. Uh, Artem Zuba is back after a brief hiatus when he accidentally released a video. We probably won't talk about that. Uh, Yuri Zerkov is back, age 64. <laughs> and the midfield hub, uh, Golovin, is going to be key at the very young age of 25. Um, and I look at them and I thought I was, going to, I was ready to write them off, but I can't because 
I think this is a tight group again. Um, there's nobody I write out. You're probably going to write off the, the fins, right? Yeah, I am. Okay. Um, look, I'd be happy to be proven wrong here. I think it could be fun. Uh, you know, I'll say this, Timu Puki better be healthy because he had been dealing with an ankle injury. Like I said, he scored 10 of their goals in qualifying. Uh, they scored 16 goals in qualifying. He had 10 of them. Like this guy yeah. matters to what they're going to do here. He uh, certainly are does. You, are you ready for this stat? I'm about to lay just the stat of the year on you. So the most goals across the top two flights in England since 2018-19, so between the Premier League and the Championship – here are the three players who have scored the most goals in that time frame. Harry Kane has 56. Mo Salah has 62. And above everyone is Timu Puki with 66 goals. That's, it's unbelievable. Yeah. Incredible. Most of so, them at the championship level, but still. Yeah, still. It's, it's, I mean, look, he did play well in the Premier League too. He wasn't able to sustain it for a full season, but we certainly saw flashes of what yep. made him so valuable to Finland. And here's another stat, another, this just like makes no sense against Belgium, who they're going to face in their final group stage match. Finland actually leads the all-time series, uh, four wins, three losses, four draws. Finland's had success recently against Belgium, having not suffered a defeat against them since October 8th, 1968. That makes no sense. They have either That's... won or tied against Belgium in their last seven matches. Look, I know that Belgium's golden generation is is now, but it's not like Belgium were garbage before that. Like no. they had good teams, they go to World Cups. Like Finland has been nothing. Like this is their first major tournament. This is Finland, one of those stats that is just wild. Finland owns Belgium. That is a great stat. Yeah. Uh, all right, the wheel. Let's bring it back out here. Let's go and spin. Oh. I bet you like this one. This is your chance to really flex your intelligent muscles. Uh, yeah, I guess. I kind of flex my political muscle in a way. So it landed um, on, tell me something I didn't know. Okay, well, I'm hoping you don't know this. Maybe you don't know this. But um, they're angry in Moscow, Andrew, but not at their own team. Uh, this is from the BBC. A new kit for Ukraine's football team showing a map including Russian annexed Crimea has provoked anger in Moscow. Ukraine unveiled its shirt for Euro 2020, emblazoned with its borders, including Crimea, and the slogan, Glory to Ukraine. Russia annexed the Crimean Peninsula from Ukraine in 2014 and consider, considers it a part of its territory, something rejected internationally. A Russian MP called it a political provocation. In a statement to the BBC, European football's governing body, UEFA, said the shirt of the Ukrainian national team for UEFA Euro 2020 has been approved by UEFA in accordance with the applicable equipment regulations. The front of the yellow shirt shows the contours of Ukraine in white, including Crimea and the pro-Russian separatist control regions of Donetsk and Luhansk. Or Luhansk. Uh, but foreign, uh, Russian Foreign Ministry spokeswoman uh, Maria Zakharova criticized the kits, saying the football team had attached Ukraine's territory to Russia's Crimea, creating the illusion of the impossible. Uh, Russian MP Dmitry Shivishev called the shirt totally inappropriate and urged UEFA to take action. Uh, incidentally, the U.S. embassy in Kiev, Ukraine's capital, tweeted, love the new look with a photo of the new kit. Hmm. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah, Very that interesting. is... Uh, it's like, how can we design a jersey to provoke another country? Yeah. And uh, um, talk about, you know, all the things people say about, I wear this shirt with pride. The shirt means so much to me. It means the country. Well, in this case, 
It actually does. Uh, let's see. My uh, tell me something I didn't know, JJ. I, I have an American brain, so I took that with me in this. Uh, there are not many MLS players taking part in this tournament, but three of them are playing for Finland. Robin Laud and Yuka Raitala, both of Minnesota United FC, and Lassie Lapalainen of Montreal Impact. So if you're an MLS fan kind of looking for someone to latch onto, I would say the team that has three MLS players playing for them would be a good choice. For sure. Uh, that would be the hipster's choice as well, which will suit a lot of MLS supporters. So there you go. That's group B. Now we rounded out JJ in our uh, part one of our UEFA Euro preview with group C. All right, here we go. According to the average soccer power index rating, by the way, this is the weakest group in the tournament. Um, as we go through it, you can decide for yourself whether or not mm. you agree. We start with Austria. Austrians here for the third time in the last four tournaments managed by Franco Foda. Um, and in, uh, in qualifying, Marco Arnautovic, their leading goal scorer, but he's been dealing with a thigh muscle tear. Now, Foda seems optimistic that Arnautovic is going to be able to play. He says he'll be ready for the start of the tournament, um, whether that means he'll be in the starting 11 or in some sort of sub-reserve role. That remains to be seen, but that's potentially important for them. Uh, continuing now, JJ, to North Macedonia. Like Finland, this is their first ever major tournament. They got through in the... I remember when we were going through this initially and just yeah. being like, wait, what? what? My head hurts. They got through into this tournament by way of the Nations League qualifying route where they beat Kosovo and then Georgia. Yes, they, they went through Nations League qualifying path D and they finished third in Group G of Euro qualifying proper behind Austria. So again, we've got a team, North Macedonia, ending up in it with a, with a team they've already played in qualifying proper but there you go the nation's league giveth and it giveth us north macedonia yeah i just remember being like you know what this is confusing just like wake me up when we know who it is and now here we are it's north macedonia. <laughs> it worked out perfectly for right. us uh goran pandev jj people remember him uh he scored the winning goal against georgia he's 37 years old now he was on the uh the 2010 inter milan trouble winning side uh, yes, not surprisingly, I'm, after scoring that goal in, uh, against Georgia, he is an all-out icon in North Macedonia. One of he's the, a complete hero and uh, beloved of Mourinho. Yeah, from that 2010 side. Um, by the way, Pandev struck again just a couple months ago also when North Macedonia stunned Germany. Remember that? I think we mentioned yeah. that on that podcast. They beat Germany in Germany 2-1 handing Germany their first World Cup qualifying defeat in 20 years. North Macedonia did that. And now here they are in the European Championships for the first time. The Netherlands, JJ, they were uh, qualifying group runners-up behind the aforementioned Germans. There will be lots to say about them. Yes. Is this your, do you want to? <laughs> do you have No, uh, we'll leave it to the five big questions. There's... There's actually, there's so much to say about them, really. Um, okay. They are probably considered the, no, they are the class of this group. But yeah. I, I think that there is a, there'll be a nervousness going into this competition, not least on the part of their manager. <laughs> yeah, every year uh, for the Premier League, when we do our, our 20 questions before that, one of the questions is always, who is on the hottest seat entering the season? Uh, we don't have that question for this tournament. However, I would say that Frank DeBoer is the honorary winner of that if we were to have that question here. 
Yes, and I, I, and, I, and I would also think that his family aren't helping in the matter. I'll get to that in a second. Interesting. Just a couple other notes before we get to uh, some of that stuff. Um, I was a little surprised, JJ, to see that Jeannie Wijnaldum was their leading scorer during qualifying with a, an impressive eight goals. Yeah, I, he, but he was part of the, he was at the vanguard of that kind of uh, regeneration that happened under Ronald Koeman for qualifying uh, before Koeman left, of course, last summer to manage Barcelona. He was he was getting into the box, Andrew, a lot and uh, ending up on the end of things for, for Holland. He was... Uh, Bit of a gold machine for a while. Yeah. By the way, it looks like he's on his way to PSG. Seems to be the case. Yeah. Uh, and about term. How do you term, feel about that? Um, he he has a good relationship with Pochettino, and has well, nearly went to Spurs in 2016 before he went to Liverpool. So I guess he's getting his chance to to play for him now. Uh, we often look JJ at the Netherlands as the best country to not have won a World Cup, but they have achieved Euro glory back in 1988. They'll be looking to do it again. Uh, incredibly, this, as is well documented, this is their first major tournament since the 2014 World Cup, where they went out in the semis to Argentina on penalties. Um, remember, they beat Brazil then to finish third. Uh, so we'll see. Should be interesting. It's been a while since we've seen them in a major tournament. Like you said, we will certainly be talking more about them. And then finally, Ukraine, who you mentioned moments ago in your uh, Tell us something we didn't know. Stat for Group B. Yes, uh, topped Group B ahead of Portugal. Left Portugal in second. That is uh, considering the the class of that Portuguese squad. That is no small feat. And um, you know, managed by Shevchenko, a legend, an yeah. idol, an icon in in that country. This is uh, this could be an interesting tournament for them. And they'll certainly look, or they'll really want to get out of this group and expect to get out of it. I think. Yeah, you would think. I mean, the, like you said, the fact that they topped their group in a group that included Portugal was fantastic for them. Um, however, they come into this tournament, I don't know, we'll see. In, back in March, their three World Cup qualifiers were less than stellar. No. Uh, they didn't lose any, but they drew all of them 1-1. The first one with France, which, okay, we can forgive that. But then they drew 1-1 with Finland and then 1-1 with Kazakhstan. So maybe a little bit of raised eyebrows coming in. I have no idea exactly how important stuff like that is entering a completely different event like this, but it's but worth noting. I would just say in their defense, it's unusual to have competitive games in the springtime of a summer tournament. It's yeah. usually tune-up games, warm-up games. Maybe that's a factor. Yeah. Uh, all right, here we go. Five big questions for Group C. Number one, do you view the Netherlands as perhaps the greatest wild card for this entire tournament? Um, I mean, I guess I do, Andrew. They used to be perennial pre-tournament favorites, but then they didn't qualify for the last Euros in 16, failed to make it to the World Cup in Russia, uh, lost some of their luster, really. Um, something of a renaissance, like I mentioned, behind, uh, began under Ronald Koeman. Um and then they qualified for the postponed tournament. Uh, then came Frank de Boer and a poor start to life as Dutch manager, coupled with this fallout, this baggage from his last three club jobs. Uh, and that's cast a cloud. And the critics, like I, I alluded to, are coming from all sides, including his brother, Ronald, who played with him at Ajax and on the Dutch national team. And I think he's he means well. He just uses a phrase here, Andrew, that is not good. So he was, uh, this was reported by Goal magazine. Uh, Ronald de Boer is talking to De Telegraph, uh, which is the Dutch newspaper. <laughs> All right. Johan Cruyff would turn over in his grave, de Boer told tele the Telegraph of the formation ahead of the Netherlands' final warm up game against Georgia. 
but he would also do that if he saw the games of Barcelona under Ronald Koeman. While it is still a very attractive system, it is about how you fill it in. He's talking about uh, five at the back, I believe. And now the well, so the, they've been tinkering with this three-five-two, right? Kind of a hybrid five at the back, also. Yeah, it has not really been working. No and players, it sounds like, are expressing their dissent with using this. They want to go to the four-three-three. Yes, that he used, which would see De Ligt and uh, De Vrij at centre back um, in a more orthodox formation. Um, but Andrew, if you're if you're trying to defend your brother. Don't start off by saying that the greatest hero to Dutch soccer is rolling in his grave right now. Right. They also found they reached his mother for comment. Also, she said he was a terrible student and never cleaned his room. (laughs) Very supportive Um, family. Yeah. No Virgil van Dijk is is the massive blow seen as we're talking about defenses and and center backs, but the team is talent. It's, it's huge. Not having him. I I mean, like my, I, I almost feel like my perception of them is completely altered by whether or not he is or isn't there. Obviously we know he won't be right. He's just of that level of player where it's so unfortunate. Sure. Um, on the upside, all their group games are at home in the Amsterdam arena. And it is on paper, at least a relatively weak group. So no pressure, no pressure, Frank. Well, they've got to get out of this group. Oh, can you, can you imagine if, if, can, if they don't, I mean, my God, Will he even be allowed on the flight back? Well, I guess they won't even have to fly back. They're already in the Netherlands for these games. He'll be made walk home at least. <laughs> right. Um, yeah. One one player that I wanted to mention specifically for them, uh, and that's Memphis Depay. Oh, you're standing over, standing on top of everything. Oh, you're going to do him for your uh, your third question then? Yeah, I am. Okay. That's well, fine. then I'll save all this and we'll talk about him more there. And we will go to the second question of which group stage match are you most excited for? Uh, the opener, um, Netherlands and the Ukraine. So for the Ukraine, they will expect to get out of this group and will know that a good start, a draw or a win in Amsterdam sets them up nicely as they have a winnable game on paper immediately afterwards against North Macedonia, albeit in Bucharest, where apparently Macedonia feel like that's going to be a home away from home for them. Um, Ukraine have the potential to give the Netherlands a tough game. They have that midfielder Stepanenko, Zinchenko, yep, center mid for Zinchenko of Manchester City, and Malinovsky from Atalanta, and that could be a formidable midfield three. Uh, Roman Yamichuk is the against striker in form, and he will carry the goal-scoring load. That is the game that excites me most because I think if things are going to go wrong for old Frankie boy, they're going to go wrong straight away against Uh, Ukraine. Yeah, I could see that as well. I went with uh, Sunday, June 13th in Bucharest, North Macedonia and Austria, um, simply because A, there wasn't really a game that jumped off the page to me. And B, it's going to be North Macedonia's first appearance in a major tournament, and they're going to be doing it in the only venue that's allowing 100% attendance in Bucharest. So I'm excited to see just what that looks like and how excited those fans are for that event. Should be fun. Uh, All right tease this a little bit uh, a second ago the player from this group that you're most excited about i guess i'll go first because i know who you're going to go with we'll talk about him in greater detail but i'm going to stick with that team uh the netherlands i'm going to go a little bit outside the box here uh we could be looking at the next big thing to come out of ix there's always that guy Uh, i don't know how much we're going to see this guy in the tournament but if we do it could be exciting 19 year old ryan gravenberg for the netherlands just turned 19 ix midfielder um he scored the other day in their tune-up against Georgia. 
He won the Eredivisie's Young Player of the Season Award. So here we go. The, the list of young Ajax talents. Since 2010, JJ, here are the Ajax players who have won that award, the uh, Young Player of the Season in the Dutch League. Gregory Vanderveel, Christian Eriksen, Davy Klaassen, Casper Dahlberg, Matthias De Ligt, and Frankie de Jong. That's just since 2010. I would say you, know, you can parse through some of those if you want but generally speaking if you play for Ajax and you're that good that you can win that award uh it bodes well for your future so I hope you get a look at him Gravenberg in this uh in this tournament because he's you know you read certain things it's hard to know exactly what to believe you watch videos um but everyone keeps saying he's he's Pogba you know in the in the style he plays and in sort of the way he moves out there and you see it when you watch him play um so I hope we get a good look at him because I, I think it'd be fun to see a, a bit of youth coming through in this Dutch side from, from that program at Ajax, especially. Oh, definitely. Um, for me, it's Memphis Depay, like I said. I think coming off an ACL tear, uh, coronavirus meant that he didn't miss Euro 2020. And um, after another good season at Lyon, he is the potential key man in that Dutch attack. He is the key man in that Dutch attack. 20 goals and 12 assists. Uh, in a season directly after such a serious injury is phenomenal. Um, this is set up for him to make an impact. And he's another player who I know we're very, you know, Anglo-centric in the way we look at things. But if you think of his time at Manchester United and what he's managed to do since he left, uh, re-establish himself as one of Europe's premier attacking players who will probably get a move, well, We'll see what happens, but it sounds like a, Barcelona are, are ready to pounce. Yeah, it seems like that's the case. And um, God knows, Andrew, if we're, if if there's such a thing as deserving things in football, maybe he does. And he's going to be key for the Dutch. Yeah. You know, it's funny. I'm glad you bring up the Manchester United side of it, because, yes, the Anglo centric side of many people remember his time there and remember that it was generally disappointing. Still remembers it. And that's right. all they know about him. Right. And then he went off to Lyon and people kind of forgot about him. But in the meantime, I mean, look, we never mention him when we talk about some of the best strikers in the world. But like a lot of his numbers suggest that he he could be a part of that group. And sure enough, if Barcelona go all in on him, we might really find out when he goes, if he goes there, whether or not he belongs in that category. Like even the Champions League, six goals in eight Champions League matches, uh, not this year, but the year before. Um so, you know, he's done it in high-level competitions. But again, he didn't do it at Old Trafford. So there's people who are always going to look at him with kind of a, a, a skeptic eye. Um, I saw this stat, too. It's not just at Lyon where he's succeeded. Uh, he's done it for the Dutch as well. This was from BN Sports. They said Depay was involved in a goal every 38 minutes in qualifying. Six goals and seven assists in, 40, in 495 minutes. The best rate among the 54 players to have had a hand in five or more goals. And he rescued... Uh... Frank de Boer from an embarrassing defeat to the Scots there last week with a brilliant free kick in Amsterdam. Yeah. You know, yeah, he so. had uh, in their tune-ups. Yeah. He had a goal and two assists on Sunday in, against Georgia. And like you said, against Scotland, um, he scored as well. Two goals in that, right? I believe. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. So yeah, good shout. Memphis should be, he should be one of the most, hopefully one of the most fun players to watch at this tournament. Uh, all right. Fourth question, JJ, when I say dark horse team, you say, well, I, I say Austria, and I remember giving them the big build-up for Euro 2016, and they didn't win a game. They were dreadful. Um, it's only their second Euros that they've actually qualified for because they were co-hosts in 2008, and it feels like that can't be right, but it is, though. Uh, they haven't won a game. Wait for this, Andrew. They haven't won a game at a major tournament since 1990 when oh they my. beat... Who did they beat in 1990? 
Their last win at a major tournament. Uh, England? The students of the U.S. men's national team. That seems like something that has to change. Um, they're getting criticized in their own country for just getting qualification done, but not really being able to mix it with the big boys. But the personnel and the success of the manager, Franco Foto, suggests to me that they should be good. Um, David Alaba, Bayern, an absolute star. Alexander Dragovic, Leverkusen, top player. Marcel Sabitzer, Leipzig. We all know about him. Marco Arnautovic. Okay, he's at Shanghai Port now. Um, but the 23-year-old, six-foot-seven striker uh, from Stuttgart, Sasha Kalajic, scoring in seven consecutive Bundesliga games for Stuttgart at the start of this year, followed by three in Austria's first two World Cup qualifiers. He may be the man to lead them forward. This is Andreas Hagenauer on the player that I'm dubbing the Tyrolean Crouchy because he's six foot seven. Um, in fact, his technical skills are astonishing. His left foot has prodigious power. And when his side are building an attack, Kalajic, or Kalajic plays his part with confidence, knowledge, and finesse. So we're talking about young players that may, might make an impact. Maybe this 23-year-old can for an Austrian team that I don't think is getting the, the attention it deserves. I mean, just on players alone, they should be better and they should do better than 2016. And by the way, it's worth mentioning that uh, David Alaba is Bayern Munich no more. He's at Real Madrid. He's will be at Real Madrid starting July 1st. Right. Because when his contract goes into effect. Yes. So that was, yeah, one of the first big moves of the, of the summer transfer window. Um, for a dark horse team, for me, I didn't really, I'll be honest, I didn't have a clear cut one here. I, I'm going to say Ukraine. Um, just because I guess their, their SPI gives them a 53% chance to advance out of the group, which is third highest in the group. And I, I think they'll get out. Um, you know, I get, you mentioned some of the, like, the nice talent that they're going to be bringing through with Alexander Zinchenko, Andre Yarmolenko, <clears throat> who's 31 now, the captain of this team, and some lesser known talent, Yoman, uh, Roman Yaremchuk, uh, who scored 17 goals, six assists for Ghent in, mm. the, uh, in the Belgian league. So, yeah, and I guess I, I trust this manager right now, Andrei Shevchenko, and just the way he's kind of gotten the most out of this team. Uh, all right, last but not least, is there a team in this group that you give no shot? No, I, and I know people are going to say, well, North Macedonia, JJ. Uh, I'm going to say this now. Don't underestimate beating Kosovo and then beating Georgia to get here. Unfortunately, as an Ireland fan, I have intimate knowledge of Georgia. And they are a tough side, and I didn't expect them not to make it. And for North Macedonia to do it was no small feat. They have Serie A quality in Elmas of Napoli up front. Genoa's Pandev, who we talked about. Uh, Andrew, Stefan Ristovsky of Dinamo Zagreb. Uh, remember him? Remember them, Andrew? And, of course, uh, Alioski of Leeds United. So, for me, I think, you know, team that there's, there has no shot, I don't. I don't think there is in this group either, but maybe I'm being overly optimistic about the talents of North Macedonia. All right. Well, that's fair. Uh, all right. One more spin of the wheel. Let's go. Here we go. We'll bring it out and spin it. Oh, it lands on glory days. JJ, this is where we present to you a highlight of a great moment from one of the nations in this group. What do you have? Uh, alone it stands, Andrew. Holland's solo major tournament triumph 33 years ago this summer. 
Marco Van Basten's legendary volley goal versus Russia in the final of Euro 88. The long crossover and the volley, which was from an implausible angle. And um, all I could find, find was the, the commentary for that, you know, the redubbed commentary, like done 20 years later, which sounded awful. So I got the Dutch commentary, and I think this sounds pretty good. Van Basten. What do you think of that? Very nice. Love it. That, Love the authenticity of it. Very 1980s feel. Yeah. And also his surprise. You can, you can hear his voice go up from, when Van Basten makes contact because from the position he's in, he's expecting a cross and he volleys it into the opposite side netting. Um, Van Basten was the golden boot winner at that tournament with five goals. There was only eight countries at that tournament in Euro 88, Andrew. And the Republic of Ireland was one of them. Like we said, this tournament has gone through some very unusual periods of time in terms of format. Yeah, it's, it, it, seems, so, it seems so wrong. And I know they've been, in, they've been in the most amount of World Cup finals without winning one. Uh, three World Cup finals without winning one. But uh, the fact that the Dutch have just one major tournament triumph and that's it is uh, it just seems wrong. Yeah. Well, there you go, man. That is part one of our UEFA Euro group previews. We'll have part two for you with groups D, E, and F um, a little bit later this week. Most likely, I would say, check your feeds on Wednesday. I would think that'll probably be sometime during maybe early afternoon. Um, hopefully we'll get that out to you. Yeah, I'm excited about the next ones because uh, there's some big hitters in there. We're going to talk about Portugal. We're going to talk about Scotland. We're going to talk about England, Spain. Oh, yes. The French. The French. The good stuff. Oh, Oh, yeah. That'll be fun. This was fun, too. There were a lot of good ones in this one as well. I hope everybody enjoyed this. Like I said, we'll be back for part two a little bit later in the week. And then the tournament starts on Friday. Which is just just perfect timing. These are perfectly lengthed, perfectly timed podcasts to go and insert inside your brain as you go into this tournament. That's right. Hey, this was fun, man. We'll do it again in a couple of days. To you, I say... Check you later, fun boy. See ya. Take care. You've been listening to the Caught Offside Soccer Podcast. 